Hello and welcome to the C21 podcast. My name's Jonathan Webdale. We hope you're safe and well wherever you may be. In this episode, Kirsty Bell, Chief Executive of Goldfinch, discusses the UK-based film and TV financier's £500,000 support fund for local prodcos, which is looking to hand out. Tom Brisley, co-founder and creative director of Arrow Media, details how the factual-focused indie behind upcoming streaming series Magic of Disney's Animal Kingdom shifted strategy to cope with lockdown. But first, Marty Adelstein, chief executive of ITV Back Tomorrow Studios, talks about how the second season of new sci-fi series Snowpiercer was impacted by COVID-19, with the first having premiered to record ratings on TNT in the US earlier this month, and as of yesterday, debuting globally via Netflix. Based on the 2013 Korean movie of the same name from Oscar-winning Parasite director Bong Joon-ho, itself adapted from a French graphic novel, the Snowpiercer series has had a somewhat rocky road to screen bounce between US cable nets TNT and TBS amid AT&T's creation of Warner Media and HBO Max, plus a number of different showrunners. C21's Ed Waller started off by asking Adelstein whether he was surprised a dystopian drama should prove such a hit for TNT in the current climate, before moving on to discuss Tomorrow Studios' broader response and other projects the company's working on. I wasn't surprised by that. I always thought that there would be a a, a lean into it because of what's going on, you know? I mean, people are sitting at home and looking for something different. And, you know, I, I wasn't really surprised by that. That didn't really shock me. What is it about science fiction? And it seems very popular on the SVOD platforms and cable platforms around the world in this particular pandemic. What, why is that? Because I think people are starting to see, you know, things unfolding, you know, starting with global warming. And now you have this pandemic. I think they're starting to see that some of the things that sounded so far-fetched in the world are, you know, not that far-fetched anymore. And I think they're, they're watching it, and, you know, there's more of an acceptance of what it is. Now, the production on season one was unaffected, I understand, by the pandemic. But tell us about season two. What, what happened there? We were lucky in a way in that when we shut down, we had eight days of shooting left. And if and when we get a third season order, we'll be able to pick those up pretty quickly. So in that regard, we were fairly lucky. I mean, we have eight of the 10 episodes completed and we can do eight days of shooting to complete the other two. And the show's gonna air on Netflix in South Korea as well. Do you expect it to go down well where the original came from? Uh, Yeah, I do. Um, In fact, we were intimately involved with CJ, which is the company that releases and finances uh, Director Bong's movies, and they've done some uh, research on it, and they expect a big audience. Marty, tell us about the other shows you've got in development right now and how they might be impacted by the production lockdown. In that regard, if you can be lucky in a pandemic, we had nothing set to go back before August, which we think we'll be able to do. We're very lucky that we're shooting Cowboy Bebop in New Zealand, which is completely cleared. Cowboy Bebop is the adaptation of the manga that John Cho is starring in. We had to shut down for six months because he tore his ACL. So in a way, we're going back at the right time to finish the episodes. And then we're expecting to start One Piece, which is another adaptation for Netflix of a manga. We're expecting to start that in Cape Town, South Africa, in early September. Uh, We have another show called Physical, which Rose Byrne has committed to starring in, which will shoot in LA 
probably around September. We have another show, which I really can't talk about, that's going to shoot in South Korea uh, in the fall. So I think, you know, we're okay in terms of production. I think it'll be figured out by that. We're actively talking about, you know, what we're going to be doing and how we're going to be doing it and, you know, all the protocols we're going to need. Will the cost of production go up? Because obviously you'll have to factor in medics on set and all kinds of other, other things. What, what, how are you going to be accounting for, for that change? You know, that remains to be seen. We're budgeting it out right now. There definitely will be fewer crowd scenes, you know, for social distancing sort of purposes and that. You know, I expect there'll be a cost and everybody will have to figure it out with the broadcaster or the streamer. But I don't expect it to be that significant. Do you think there'll be issues in terms of uh, insurance or legal hoops that you have to go through before cameras can start rolling? Well, it's interesting because, you know, there's a lot of talk about the insurance, you know, what the cost is going to be is, and is it going to be available? I think that'll become more clear in the next two or three weeks. In terms of legal, I think we're going to have to, you know, we're talking to the guilds now about how we're going to do this and, you know, the safest way of doing it. And, you know, there's going to have to be a little bit of risk on the side of the, you know, some of the crew and the actors where we're going to do everything we can to protect them. I think we'll figure out the legal liability before we go back into shooting. And as far as Tomorrow Studios is concerned, what's actually the day-to-day like? Yeah, it's been it's been an interesting experience. And I don't want to do a commercial for Zoom, but it has made it completely possible to go forward without almost missing a beat. Because of the shutdown, everybody needs programming. So there's been a lot of buying during this period. And it's really, we've sold a lot of new things. We also have had all our meetings by Zoom. And it's really, it's really not that different. I mean, it's always better to be in person, but it's really, it's really been a sort of easy process from that, that aspect. So the conversations that normally would have had taken place in MIP or in LA and Cannes or what have you, they're all happening over the internet. Yeah, they are. They are. Uh, we just closed a deal with the writer of the bureau in, uh, in France, uh, Eric Rochant. We did all our meetings in Paris through the, uh, internet on Zoom. And it was actually kind of cool because our talks would take place, you know, at the time Paris was, uh, you know, doing the tribute to the, to the frontline workers. And Eric would show us the streets of Paris, the apartments and everybody hanging out. And it was a very sort of a cool experience. What, what do you make of the fact that the US networks, a lot of them seem to be buying in ready-made programming because obviously the production freeze. Do you think that's a, a good trend for somebody that's in original production? Uh, no, I don't think it's a good trend for the networks, and I don't think it's a good trend for you know people in the production business. I think it's more of a of a show of the financial difficulties the networks are having. Do you think they'll return to original programming, or do you think they'll get uh, hooked on uh, acquired licensed product? I think it'll be a little of both. I think a lot of the things will change. I think they will try to do that, even if before, if you looked at it. You saw a lot of game shows being programmed and a lot of cheaper programming. I think it'll go to a point, and it's been there before in the past, where, you know, there'll be certain banner shows that they invest in and spend money. And then for other time slots, I think they'll do a lot more acquired sort of product in that. So we're we're now looking at ways of doing a lot of shows, either with a partner in the UK or France or Germany in that to be able to to sell to the network at a lower license fee. So these would be pr- productions that would take place in other countries or in, in LA? 
Fortunately or unfortunately, most of our productions, we're, uh, we're doing HANA in the UK now. It started in, uh, in Hungary. I say five or six of the shows we're doing. We have one show shooting in LA, which is physical. So we're already used to, you know, traveling like we are. It's, everything's been in another country. Do you think when the lockdown lifts and production resumes, do you think some of the changes that we've made now will stay? Will they become permanent or will it just go back to normal? Yeah, it's interesting. I think there'll be, there'll be a shift a lot. I know for a fact that we're not going to have people come back into the office until late in the, late in the summer. And I think it's going to change things for, for a long time. I mean, I have no problem doing, uh, you know, doing my meetings on Zoom. I still think there'll be, you know, once they find a vaccine, uh, I think things will go back to 75%, 80% of what it was in terms of the traveling and things like that. Uh, You're already seeing airlines, uh, you know, starting to book for the summer. I think people are, you know, will go back to where they were. Tell us about why you saw so much original IP from Asia and adapting it for the US market. You know, it was interesting. We came up with the idea very early on that movies were becoming harder and harder to make that the mangas in Japan and the anime, you know, take some of these things like Cowboy Bebop was in development for 10 years, originally had Keanu Reeves attached and then never got made. So our thing was we would go to Japan three times a year. We hired a great consultant named Tetsu Fujimura who made the introductions for us. And we were able to sort of sell them on the idea that not only could we get these things made in a quarter of the time, but that they had so much material that it shouldn't be jammed into a two-hour movie, but should be made over episodes in that because, you know, in some of these th- in some of these uh, mangas, they have 10, 12 years worth of material there. So Asia became really interesting to us and also it was surprising to me how many people knew cowboy bebop and one piece in the u.s so asia became a very interesting place for us what we sort of figured out early early on is that being a smaller independent sort of studio in terms of material that we had to have the best ip and we became sort of an ip company to attract the kind of talent that we're working with. You know, we've had a lot of writers come in and they look at our list of IP that we've acquired from around the world and they usually find something that really appeals to them. A funny experience was uh, with The Persuaders, which is an ITV format that they entrusted us with, that Hart Hansen, you know, who is a major writer here who did Bones and a number of other things, had told me he loved it, but he really didn't want to work at this point, but he loved it. And then I knew Steve Coogan. I was in London and I knew Steve Coogan was a huge fan of it. And I talked to Coogan about it. I went back to Hart Hansen and said, you know, Steve Coogan wants to do it. And he said, oh, now I have to work because I love Steve Coogan. So, you know, having that kind of IP really, really attracts major writers and talent and very talented new writers. And we've been thrilled with the people we were in business with. Are you now going through the ITV studios back catalog to see if there's other bits of IP that has potential to be developed? Yes, we definitely have been doing that, doing that from the beginning. Um, and they've been unbelievable in allowing us in to, uh, to look at the catalog. Yeah. And just lastly, Snowpiercer is obviously debuting on Netflix. How do you think the pandemic has, has played into the hands of the whole SVOD uh, landscape right now? Well, I mean, look at Netflix stock. 
I mean, it's it's played very well into that. I know we uh, we sit and binge shows that we we haven't seen, you know, or hadn't had a chance to see. I mean, you know, even my kids are going back and watching The Sopranos, which they never watched before. So. I think it's really played it well into, you know, if you could say that, into the SVOD sort of platforms. Marty Adelstein from Tomorrow Studios. Goldfinch is a UK-based film and TV financier, production and management specialist that's had a hand in over 200 projects and investments totaling more than $300 million. The company earlier this month launched its own streaming service called Bird Box Film and also launched a £500,000 fund for British indies struggling to cope with the effects of the coronavirus pandemic. Chief Executive Kirsty Bell told Nico Franks what the response has been like so far and what her sense is of how the sector's coping. We've been busy generally and as a result of announcing the fund at the start of May, we have obviously seen a massive increase in the number of email inquiries of people who, to be honest, I just feel very sad that they are experiencing difficulty in this very strange time that we find ourselves in. So the fund was launched with the aim of supporting local film and TV production companies who have been hit hard by the COVID-19 pandemic. And ordinarily, so Goldfinch is a producer and financier of content. So tell me a bit about how the fund aims to to do that, to support the local film and TV production companies. A lot of the people that I know in the industry are either self-employed and can't take benefit of um, the furlough rules in their organisations, or indeed are producers who may do one or two productions a a year. And and in fact, with television production, maybe their commissions have been put on hold from the broadcasting agencies. And what I thought when I was trying to desperately think of something that we could do that could help people that we know or know of is look we are part of our business as quite rightly said finance production and distribution now and that finance comes normally at a cost to us you know we have facilities with various banks so what if we could offer something to the people out there where it didn't cost them any interest it it can't be a grant because it's owed back in some way shape or form but they might not be able to get the coronavirus interruption business loans they might not qualify because they might not have a positive balance sheet at the end of December which is essentially the litmus test for want of a better word they might not be able to get the business banks back loan for whatever reason I mean for instance some of the banks that historically media people have banked with being namely Arbuthnot, Latham and Coots they might not be eligible under their criteria and we thought if we can help just one one company survive and to their next commission or their next production or their next receipt you know maybe they've got Netflix receipts coming in quarterly or something or a VAT refund even then we would have done something to try and help in in our own very little way I you know I wish we had money that we could just give out but unfortunately we've got our own employees and things like that to look after And so what has that response been like? We haven't been over inundated. We haven't had thousands of applications. And I'm hoping that this interview today, Nico, will actually encourage more people to apply. We've had some people apply for some quite big figures on overseas tax credits, which is very interesting because... Um, A lot of the banks in the UK won't fund international tax credits or tax refunds, whatever they're called in whichever territory. And maybe it's because productions have halted because 
of the coronavirus itself. And uh, we're looking into all of them. You know, uh, we've had a few sales agents get in touch with us who obviously um, are finding it tough at the moment because the content won't necessarily get finished if people haven't got post-production facilities in their own homes or in a isolated office situation. So basically, we, we yes, we have had a lot of inquiries. We could do with some more, to be honest with you. It sounds really weird, but the money's there to spend on this and we want to spend it, <laughs> spend it as quickly as possible to help people. Given the, the news there's been recently about the guidelines allowing production to restart, is there a light at the end of the tunnel or is it a bit premature to think that? It's a bit like everything to do with this awful disease and its impact on um, the world and especially the entertainment industry is um, how can we actually do it? You can't get insurance for coronavirus. The completion bonders and production insurance people have said, yes, we will insure you, but there's a massive exclusion clause for coronavirus, obviously, um, until there's a vaccine or a cure. So you've got to be sensible, obviously. I think a lot of people are getting very confused by the various guidelines that are being issued. And I think common sense will prevail at the end of the day. Um, I had several Zoom conferences yesterday with, with producers going through how we could change scripts to have less people on set at less time without detracting from uh, the production value itself. And I think a lot of people don't realise that, um, yeah, we're offering money out there to help people through this time, but we're actually very experienced producers and executive producers. And, you know, if you want our advice, please just ask. We're non-judgmental. We're not trying to take on people's projects or, or do anything. And we would rather somebody went can I have a little bit of help please here because I've, I need a bit of assistance or steering in the right direction because that's how Goldfinch started. It was, you know, an EP service and a, and a fundraising service and that, that's what we're actually, you know, quite skilled at and people should take advantage of it really. There's, there's one thing I want to actually state as well, Nika, because we had a little bit of negativity around our announcement from, from a couple of places where people were saying that perhaps we were using this to profit from this activity we, we aren't profiting at all all we're doing with the minimum charges paying a, an external solicitor to go over our own due diligence and we, we aren't making money from this at all that's not the objective of it the objective is to help not to benefit and which particular genres would you say yeah you're most specialized in and most able to to give advice in we're genre um, agnostic yes we are less art house and more commercial uh, we do a lot of uh, films out of the studio in Yorkshire for theatrical in the UK, but probably streaming platforms like Amazon elsewhere in the world or Netflix or massive television channels in the in the US, but very much a theatrical in the UK. We do documentaries, mainly sport and music led. However, we're currently doing one about Mary Quant, who was an amazing entrepreneur and about her life story. And we do horror, uh, drama, uh, period, comedy, everything, basically. But, uh, and we follow trends because there's no point in us making something or helping people to make something where there isn't an outlet at the end of the day. So distribution is our bookend to finance with production in the mid middle. A lot of people think we're still what we were five or six years ago. We've evolved quite dramatically over the last 
I would say 24 months really. And that's the other thing I wanted people to see is that we can help on a number of, of different footings to try and get things done. You know, we can we can help with the finance plan, we can help get post-production deals through several sources. We can help with the music. Basically, we, we, we like to be seen as like a vertically, integra- vertically integrated studio. That's what we, what we are. And working across both film and TV, how would you say the pandemic has impacted those industries respectively? So in film, cinemas have had to close, whereas with TV, viewing figures are up. So has that meant that the, would you say the TV industry has perhaps been hit less hard? The, the TV industry, you can repeat a lot, obviously. You can bring out your library and put it out there on, on, the, on the TV. And the commissioning broadcasters are still commissioning and they are very much for factual content at the moment, things that can be shot in a, in a real form because they understand the difficulties of drama. So I, I don't know, but my gut feel from the people that I've spoken to, and I don't, I don't know, so please apologise to any broadcasting commissioner here. It seems to me that there's less drama being given a full throttle and more factual being given full throttle. I think also if you are a documentary maker, that your content is king at the moment. And anybody who's in post-production and can work remotely, again, I think is in a very, very good position from a sales point of view. I think any independent filmmaker who's in post and can complete the film in a timely manner should really be talking to people who know sales agents like ourselves or other people similarly placed or to the sales agents and distributors themselves. Uh, what I've found or what my team has found is that people are answering your emails quicker People are wanting content. People are wanting to discuss how they can get fresh content out there. Because all very well shown repeats, but people want new things, don't they? There's so many more feel-good stories, and I think that's going to be the theme up until Christmas and well beyond. It's feel-good films, feel-good stories, happy endings in all of the stories, Christmas movies. You know, any, you know, in times of austerity and fear, people don't want to be watching horror, do they? They want to be watching positive affirmation of everything that's good about life, basically. And finally, what's the best way for people to get in touch with you, either about the support fund or for the advice? The info at goldfinch.co.uk is the best email. It comes through to the entire team. Just email us and we do get back to everybody. Kirsty Bell from Goldfinch. Tom Brisley is co-founder and creative director of Arrow Media, the factual-focused UK indie behind series for broadcasters all around the world, including new investigation discovery documentary Jeffrey Dahmer, Mind of a Monster, and Magic of Disney's Animal Kingdom, the company's first commission from streaming service Disney+. Brisley talked Clive Whittingham through the ways in which the company has navigated lockdown and the innovations it's using to maintain productions. We had teams in South Africa while we were filming teams in America and teams in Canada. And so the most important thing was to get them back safely. So that's that's what we did. And uh, within 24, 48 hours of things kicking off, they were all safely back in the UK. And that was and that was the number one priority. And then the second thing for us was to make sure that everyone was able to be working from home and was comfortable working from home and that they had everything they needed to be able to work from home as well. And so, you know, we managed to get 140 people working remotely, which is, you know, which is no mean feat at the end of the day. And 
the the IT people made sure that people had the right kit and the right internet connections. We were able to give them USB drives with data links on them if they needed them. And then after that, you know, we wanted to think about how we could protect people in terms of their next contracts and how we could match productions that we knew had that were coming up with people that we already had in the company. And so that's our, our talent team and our production execs have been working really hard to offer as much continuity as we can. And so once we had that in a good place, we then started to move into the second P, which was production. Um, how do we keep all of our productions going? And we, we've got roughly 25 edits working remotely at the moment, some, something like that. And that's quite a logistical exercise because the editors need to have good Wi-Fi at home. They need to have good internet connection. They need to be able to get the material so that they can edit the rushes and how do we stream that to them or do we send them a drive with everything on it? And, and all of that, our, our post team worked hours and hours and hours to make it work. We maybe lost a week in terms of moving people from from on-house edits to home edits and setting all of that up but that was that was incredible to to have achieved all of that then we're knowing the edits are working well we then needed to get to the stage where some of those shows were about to deliver and once you've picture locked and and um you've got sign off from the broadcaster the next challenge is how do you do your post and you know can you online remotely and can you dub remotely and can you record commentary remotely and we're doing this show um, for Channel 5 on Cleopatra and our host um, lives up in the northwest. We sent him a, a microphone, we couriered a microphone to him, he plugged it into his computer, he went into his daughter's bedroom which is the quietest place in the house with a load of cushions and built a little, <laughs> a, a little I suppose a little cave of cushions around him to absorb the sound and had his laptop in front of him with the script and was able over three hours to, you know, normal duration for a commentary record, record the commentary and Lucy uh, Ridout, our executive producer, was at home with her noise-cancelling headphones on, directing it and listening, listening to the commentary to make sure it was good. And, and, you know, very, very unusual, something that they'll probably both remember for a long time to come. But it, I think it shows that with the right will and the right determination and the right ingenuity, you can work around the circumstances to, to, to make things work. And the post team have been really good at sending broadcast quality monitors to execs houses so that they can look at the finished grades and make sure they're happy with that so you know, it's it's possible it takes a bit of time it takes a bit of planning uh, and it takes a bit of getting used to but but yeah we've been able to keep keep delivering delivering our shows in 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 the meantime I suppose one of the one of the big challenges we had was was when the work from home uh, orders came out in America and the UK and Canada and South Africa all, all of our recon stopped you know all of our remote filming that we were doing all of our um, all of our recrees all of a sudden ground to a standstill um, because people weren't allowed to be together and again we had to come up with solutions for that as well and you know all, all, all credit to Ian our managing director he had this brainwave I suppose that we had a lot of unused rushes from previous series of shows that we were making and he got a team together and they digitized those rushes into the system and put them up into the cloud so that all the edits could access them and over four weeks 
uh, he and the team digitised 70,000 minutes of footage. And all of that was available to, 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 to be used on the various shows that we had in production. And I suppose, you know, it's, it's obviously doing recon is the best thing. But when you can't do recon, using that sort of unused rushes from previous shows and maybe a bit of extra archive became a really, really clever alternative that all the clients that we work with, all the broadcasters we work with, were really happy with. And we also had another another trick up our sleeves where occasionally we'd get a DOP in their home, in their kitchen, in their basement, in their garden, you know, doing doing some POV recon, really stylized recon con for us for, for things essential things that we needed for particular stories and we even found in Canada a husband and wife team where the wife was a producer and the husband is a camera person they were able to work together to create content as well to keep all the all the shows on on the road so I take my hat off actually to the to the entire team I and mean, they're just incredible across the company in terms of being creative and inventive to make sure that we can still film content where we need to and then deliver that content as well you sound like you've been coming up with ways to to carry on with the stuff that even is in production some of it is is timing as well you know we're, we're in the cycle of shows where and the type of shows we're making where it's interview and recon and archive and when you've done nearly all of your interviews and you've got recon to do it's easier to find alternatives to recon you know if you're out in the field making a natural history show and you can't be together then really you have to stop production because there's there's not a there's not a lot of alternatives out there. So I think I think it's it's a combination of, of where we were in the process and the creativity of the people in overcoming the hurdles at this end, and also the type of, of, of programs we were making. I mean we we were able to come up with a workaround. It's really early days client but we're pioneering or we're trialing really a system for remote interviews because there are still interviews we need to do on some of those shows and it's a system for remote interviews where we're able to to get a camera unit send it via courier to a contributor's house it's really user-friendly so that they can set it up and um, then we can interview them and that is recorded at broadcast quality and then we can get it couriered back to us. And so we're trialling that as a, as a way of getting interviews with people at the, at the moment as well. You sound like you're laying some groundwork here for this to be quite medium long term. Is that, is that what you think? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, initially we were doing it so that we could keep our shows on, on, on the road. And, you know, even if it turns out to be short term and, and we're able to start filming again in a more usual way, in America, say by July, we've still got May and June where we've got to get content. So you know uh, that, that we still need to we still need to press on and, and, and get interviews. But who knows how long it's going to be? And I think that's the thing. We've been planning for the unknown, and better to be planned for a long term thing, so that so that if it does turn out to be half a year, a year, or, or maybe we go into a period where we can film again, and then everything locks down again after a few months. You know, and then you have to find your creative ways of filming. So I think we just wanted to be copper bottomed in terms of how we can keep Arrow going and also keep delivering ideas to uh, to the people we work with. And in terms of that planning, you know, it was we've we've come up with a short term, medium term, and and the future. I think planning for the company and and the short term was sort of sort of COVID related. You know, once we once we'd covered keeping our productions and our people moving forward. The planning then became short-term, COVID-related. Can we get commissions that are related to, 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 to corona, coronavirus or are triggered by a need to have programmes due to other programmes collapsing? And, and we were very lucky. 
we were able to pick up a 10-part series, which is in production now, using existing footage in a new way for, for another broadcaster. So I think that was, we were very proud of getting that. But I think we're moving out of that short term now, and I think it's going into the media medium term, where people or broadcasters, channels are still going to need new content, but that new content can't be they don't want it to be covid related because at the end of the day there's going to be covid fatigue you know people get all of that information from the news and people will start to want more entertaining content and i think that's what broadcasters are looking for now that's certainly what we're experiencing with the ideas that we can make in the medium term that are really archive based or maybe have a host topping and tailing them but 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 that bring joy and entertainment to to viewers and it's been really interesting if you if you you know we've put together a couple of taster tapes and sent those out uh, and they're happy happy shows and the response has been fantastic um whether they'll be commissioned or not i don't i don't know but we're certainly having plenty of zoom calls um with my uh with my very messy room in the background of of, of the zoom calls but uh hopefully they're, they're focused on the ideas and not the uh and not the background and that's sort of like the medium term which I'm, I'm seeing like in the three month to six month area and then the future you know we've got half half our development team maybe is focused on short term medium term but the rest of the development team is, is focused on the future where things be, turn return to normal or the new normal and that then becomes about delivering the growth plan that Arrow Media has. It's going back to our original plan before all of this kicked off. And, you know, for us, it, it's obviously we're based in the UK, so we want to be servicing the UK market and, and making programmes for the UK broadcasters. Our main business at the moment is cable related in America, and we want to be able to continue making programs there and, and to grow those programs. But of course, the shiny new toy for everyone are, are, um, is the streamers that are out there at the moment. And you know, the Disney Plus Commission is is the first one for us, but it's very much a, an area of focus for the company now. You know, what, what are the big, ambitious, exciting shows that, that that we can make for the streamers as well? So that's that's the Arrow strategy, actually. I've just shared with you there, but I'm sure it's the same for most companies. Tom Brisley from Arrow Media. That's all for this episode. Remember, if you'd like to share your story of coping with COVID-19 with the international TV industry, email us using the address press at c21media.net. There'll be more from the podcast tomorrow, but in the meantime, stay safe and stay up to date with all the latest developments by following C21 online on mobile and social media. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 